Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this series, we're examining every single goddamn page of Alien Hunger, a quick start adventure for Vampire the Masquerade, to determine what is the dumbest thing on that page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. If you'd like to play along at home, this is 1991's Alien Hunger, the official PDF release from White Wolf. Today we're discussing page 31, which is, believe it or not, the last page of the story in Alien Hunger. Thanks to a lot of things just kind of working themselves out, and a lot of other things kind of being like, in this book, in Denver, but just kind of sitting there in Gothpunk Denver with no useful signage to lie desolate while player characters drive on by. It's kind of early for the end of this adventure, but it is a big ending. As you'll recall from last page, Vampire Drama Club accepted the challenge of Science Jaguar, the rogue biochemist who used to work with Jacob Prester, who we now know is Louis Pasteur, was Louis Pasteur. Vampire Drama Club accepted the quest from Dr. Liverman, aka Science Jaguar, to go retrieve some secret treasure from Robert Klondike, who was a little filthy blonde man who lived in a little shitty house. And we snuck in and kicked his ass before he could pull the pin out of his little smoke grenade that he carries everywhere. And then we searched his chimney flue and we found potions. And then Marcus touched them and was like, wait, I have a psychic impression. The designers of this scenario put the useful information in a place we would never go. And now I know where it is. And then they went there and then and then Vampire Drama Club found out that Jacob Prester is Louis Pasteur. And now, I was going to say more importantly, nothing is more important than the fact that Louis Pasteur has been walking among us all these years. But almost as important, Vampire Drama Club now has two wooden test tube cases full of mysterious liquids. I would be surprised if these last through the car ride back to Science Jaguar's house. I think these player characters are going to finish all their blood on the way back to the house, like kids eating their McDonald's in the back seat before they can even get back to the house. But for the sake of podcast, let's assume they don't drink the blood or whatever until they get back to Science Jaguar and they hand the stuff over to him. True to his word, Science Jaguar gives his notes to Vampire Drama Club. Now, these notes could be difficult to interpret, having come directly from the magnificent mind and hand of one science jaguar, but one of our pregens, one of our player characters, Vampire Drama Club member Terry, Teresa, she has five dots in chemistry. She's a chemistry teacher in high school, but more importantly, she's also a, a cutting-edge world-leading chemist who I have no idea why she was spending her days in the break room of a high school somewhere complaining to other teachers about school administration. She should have been out there curing cancer, but that's behind us now. Water under the bridge. Terry is here now, and she is an amazing chemist, and she can fully understand Science Jaguar's notes. I'm not going to read them verbatim, but here's what we find out. Antibody 1, it is capable of destroying something that Science Jaguar calls alpha in his notes, which we're going to come to understand means vampirism, basically, or whatever the power is in vampire blood that animates vampires. Antibody 1 will kill off alpha, kill off vampirism, but it will also uh, kill the newly alive person who ingests it. So you turn back from a vampire into a human, but then that human dies because the potion is so fucking toxic. Antibody number two is similar, but not as deadly. Basically, it has a byproduct when it interacts with alpha that creates an allergic reaction, and it depends on how much vampire blood is in the vampire system. So antibody two could cure you of vampirism if you can survive the allergic reaction that it'll cause with your blood, and you can minimize that reaction by having as little blood as possible in your system. That's good to know. Also good to know, Science Jaguar tells us that the dosages on these things, almost all of the vials, 
contain three doses. So like that's enough blood for three different vampires to take a sip and get wacky special effects from drinking Louis Pasteur's patented blood potions. Now it's a party. Now, instead of fighting over this shit, we can we can split it up. We can all take a hit off this mysterious blood. See if we get more powerful. See if we die. See if our bodies mutate horribly. Whatever. Just like wherever the night takes us. We can all do this together. Make it a social thing. We, we got to try these potions. And apparently Science Jaguar is cool with it because I, I think the book presumes if you only get the serums from Klondike, the Klondike stole from Science Jaguar, uh, it seems like the presumption is still that you'll drink them. So I guess Science Jaguar just lets you do that. I mean, he's a scientist. He's not going to drink them himself. He's not a vampire. So I guess he just like has you drink them and observes. That's what he gets out of the arrangement. Now, there's a potential for a big, weird but also disappointing end to the adventure if the players see all these vials and think, ooh, magic potions, this is going to be fun. And they pick the wrong one and then they just die and that's it. They're just dead because they drank an unknown chemical and paid the price. Not a satisfying conclusion to anything but the most dourly educational of short films. However, if like Vampire Drama Club, the vampires are smart and one of them is a chemist and says, look, rule number one of chemistry, don't scoop up armfuls full of mysterious vials and drink the ones that are the prettiest color. That's the first thing they teach you. First day of chemistry school. We got we to gotta stop and think about this. And if you do stop and think about it, bust out some science on it, maybe with Science Jaguar's help, you can actually improve on these serums, refine them, give them a better chance to have a positive effect on you. It's going to take resources for, it's going to take like $100,000. Emerson can handle that. Sir Bloodworth can certainly handle that. No problem outfitting the lab. I think all of Vampire Drama Club is going to agree. Hey, let's let's wait here in Denver. Prince Ed no longer has a problem with us. Everything's cool. Let's just set up here with Science Jaguar. Spend a month or two or three with Terry working on these serums. And then when they're at their most effective, then we'll decide what we want to do with them. So this brings us to the climax of the adventure, which is the dumbest thing on this page. We've gone from setting the dark and moody conspiratorial and claustrophobic mood of this adventure to busting open a wooden box full of magic potions made by Louis Pasteur and standing in a circle and downing them one at a time to see what they do. It's dumb, but it's also great. And it requires me to figure out what all of the members of Vampire Drama Club want. Because uh, two of these vials, antibody number one and antibody number two, are capable of potentially curing vampirism. And with antibody two, if you plan ahead, have very little blood in your system when you when you ingest it, you might survive turning back into a living, breathing human and then be able to go have a normal life again. There are three doses of antibody two if we have three characters in Vampire Drama Club who want to be human again and are willing to risk their own demise to do it. And then if there are any more members of Vampire Drama Club who are cool dying just as long as they don't have to die as a vampire, then there's antibody number one for them. Do any members of Vampire Drama Club want to take the risk and, and try to be human again and go back to their life. Fortunately, I get some guidance in making this decision from the character write-ups at the back of the book. Terry, it says, the brilliant chemistry teacher who refined these serums and antibodies for us in the first place, she's into vampire existence. It says, quote, she will quickly come to see the advantages of unlife and can easily adapt. So she definitely doesn't want to go back to being a human. High school chemistry teacher to undead apex predator is a, a hell of a promotion. I can understand why she's happy with the change. Likewise, Flash's entry says, quote, he may come to grips with his vampirism faster than any of the others, as most of the philosophical implications will go right over his head. Indeed, one of the key evolutionary adaptations of the jock, 
an immunity to philosophy, if only I were so lucky. In Marcus's entry, it says, quote, fairly quickly, the advantages of his new condition will become obvious and he will learn to enjoy it. So yeah, Marcus, with vampiric powers, the sky's the limit. He could corner the market on anime figurine imports in Denver, Colorado. Even at the cost of your very soul, you can't pass up an opportunity like that. And Marcus has always wanted to be psychic, and now he's psychic. So Marcus, stay in a vampire. And of course, it goes without saying that Sir Bloodworth, I mean, getting on in years, always wanted to play the hero, lots of leisure time, like so much free time, he might as well be a vampire. Do you know what I mean? Like so much free time that when he finds out he now requires human blood for sustenance somewhere in his brain, he's like, ooh, a project. So Sir Bloodworth is definitely staying a vampire. That leaves Emerson and Monica, and it's clear from the text that Monica and Emerson are both going to want out, if they can get out. Now, there are friends, they and their money, and their husband who's a cop helped us out of a lot of tight scrapes. If they die, we're going to be sad, but nonetheless, agenda-wise, it does make sense for them to either regain mortality or meet their final death at the beginning of the potion tasting party. I mean, call it crass, but I don't want to share my magic potions with some people who are about to die. They don't need magic potions. I'm sticking around. I need magic potions. So you know what? We're going to find out with real actual dice whether Monica and Emerson survive and become mortal once more at the potion tasting party. The way this works, now that antibody two has been refined, and there are three doses of it, so that's plenty for Monica and Emerson. One of them can even try again if they need to. The way it works is now that it's refined, the vampire drinking it makes a humanity roll at difficulty four, and each success they get removes one of their discipline dots. If all the disciplines go away, then they become human, and we move to the next step and find out how much damage the antibody did to their system. Now, by this point in Alien Hunger, like end of the adventure, pretty much, the characters have earned enough XP that some of them could have an additional discipline dot. But I feel like Emerson and Monica, their, their thoughts and their minds are elsewhere. I don't think they're developing disciplines. They're both trying to reconnect with and leverage their mortal lives. That's where their focus is. And I'm going to assume for the same reason their humanity hasn't dropped much. Maybe some of these characters have lost a lot of humanity. I feel like Emerson and Monica are not going to be out there callously hunting down the innocent, if only because it feels gauche. They have too much class anxiety for street murders. If only there were a white collar way to steal people's blood. Maybe it'll come to that. Maybe they won't turn back into humans. Let's make these rolls. With her humanity of eight, Monica rolls six successes, but two ones. And in this version of the game, each one cancels a success. That leaves her with four successes, which means all three of her dots of dominate are gone. She is a human being once more. For the sake of drama, let's assume that Emerson drank his potion exactly the same time, like Team Humanity was doing shots. Let's see what happens with Emerson on step one of this antibody. Emerson also has Humanity 8, and he rolls four successes, but two ones, which means two net successes, which means only two of his discipline dots go away. His presence drops from three to one. Unlike Monica, he is still a vampire after this shot of antibody. And now let's see what happens to them both. Now, the damage rules here don't make sense to me, and I don't know if that's because I'm not reading carefully enough or because the designer's fucked up. Clearly, the intent is the less blood you have in your system, the more likely you are to survive this uh, antibody number two. But the rule that's given here is that you take a health level of damage for every blood point you have under 10, which clearly would make it better to have more blood. So I'm going to assume the thing they said in words is what they meant, and the math is what's fucked up. Vampire is for drama kids, not math kids, and we have to interpret it through that lens. So I'm going to assume Monica came into this with like two blood points in her system, which means she only takes two 
levels of health damage straight up. I then have to roll three more dice of damage against her, against a target number of her stamina plus three, blah, 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 math, math, math. Basically, she's taken two damage. She has the potential to take three more damage. Even then, it would only be five damage, which is not the seven that would be needed to kill her. And the only dice to roll here are damage dice against her. So even botching wouldn't potentially kill her because the, the, she's not the one rolling dice. So there's not really any way for uh, Monica. You know, she might be badly hurt. I, I think she's she's wrecked by this physically. But Monica is once again human, a living, breathing, literally cop-hugging district attorney. People like her always land on their feet. and It burns me up inside. Speaking of burning up inside, let's check back in with Emerson. As you recall, he's still a vampire. He didn't turn human yet. He turned like two-thirds of the way human. And it's not clear what happens here. It's not clear if Emerson takes damage if he doesn't turn back into a human. I think it's better for drama, especially with these refined potions, if you do take damage from a failed potion, so then you have to decide whether to try it again. So I'm going to go ahead and roll damage. I'm going to assume Emerson, likewise, is down to two blood points. He ends up taking three health levels of damage of his seven total from the initial antibody dose, and it doesn't turn him human, but he can feel he's getting humaner. His propensity to error is rising. Telltale sign of being human. Does he dare take another dose? Is he going to fail too? Is he going to kill him? Is he going to overdose? Is it going to be too much? Could we have a Rob Zombie situation on our hands where Emerson becomes more human than human? I think Emerson is too invested in his mansion and his butler and his money and his no doubt shitty relationship with his dad and his polo team. He has to take this dose, the last remaining dose of antibody two, and he does. His second humanity role garners him six successes, easily enough to get rid of that last remaining discipline dot. But that means he does take two more damage from the blood points in his system. He's now at five of his seven health levels, and he's got to roll three dice to see how much more damage he takes. And that is a big three damage. That is eight total health levels, which means Emerson Wilkershire III is dead. R.I.P. You are a friend. You played a hell of a Juliet's dad in our community theater production of Romeo and Juliet, and your money was super useful. Fortunately, one of us is still very rich, and uh, life will move on. But okay, so now with the squares out of the way, now it is time for the main event. It's time for Vampire Drama Club to take these dozen vials of unknown liquids and ingest them irresponsibly like the schnapps of the damned. So let's get to that. But first, the ground rules. I want to talk a little about what the rules are. These are potions. Potions are treasure. And when a player character group finds treasure, you have to come to some kind of accord about who gets what. Because if you don't, people start pulling swords. People start trying to pickpocket each other. The campaign falls apart. I don't want Vampire Drama Club to go down like that. They haven't even put on a single Vampire Community Theater production yet. It would be a real shame if they came to an untimely end over jealousy and greed. So we got two potions here that can reduce generation. The rules are they're going to draw straws for those. Well, I say straws. They're going to roll a D4, which I know Marcus has on his person. Whoever's randomly selected is going to get the first potion. And then they're going to randomly select one of the remaining three to get the other potion. No doubling up. You got to spread it around. After that, they're going to randomly determine a turn order, and they're going to take turns taking doses from these vials until they're ready to stop, and everybody can be out whenever they want to be out. We know at this point enough about the different vampire clans, both from talking to Prince Edward and because of Marcus's occult score, which has gone up over the course of this adventure. More about that in a later episode. And we know enough about these potions that Teresa has been working on in the lab for months then I'm going to assume the characters basically know what they do. They basically know what the vampire clans are about. And therefore, they can come into this with some strategy. They can make wise decisions. They're not just going to randomly dump these potions down their throats. They're going to thoughtfully dump these potions down their throats. Not all of those thoughts are necessarily smart, 
Let me tell you what everybody's strategy is going in. Terry, she's smart. She's a gangrel. She knows if she stays a gangrel, eventually she's going to grow elephant ears or some shit. She doesn't want that. So she wants to be a Toreador. One of the things these potions can do is change your clan. But she would settle for Ventru or for Caitiff. Since Toreador is the goal and Terry is smart, she's going to start with the Ventru potions, then switch to the Toreador potions to try to close it down on Toreador. So if she gets turned into a Ventru along the way, then she'll get back to Toreador at the end. She's only going to take Caitiff potions at the end if she's got nothing to lose. Because one of the things that these potions can do is give you new disciplines. And she's interested in that, but not enough to risk going from being one of the artsy, beautiful people to one of the this space left intentionally blank people. So if she's already a Toreador, no more Caitiff blood. But if she's a Caitiff already, or she's still a Gangrel or whatever, then why not chug some Caitiff blood? Now, Marcus, at this point, is really interested in learning Thaumaturgy. He knows there's such a thing as vampire magic. And of course, once you know there's vampire magic, it's pretty hard to go back to like potence or animalism. Great, I can talk to rats. Come here, rats. Let me eat you. Let me perpetuate my wretched existence in the most wretched way possible. While you're chowing down on a rat that you summoned using animalism, you have to be thinking about how you should have made better unlife choices. You should know vampire magic. You could be pulling blood out of human beings in gouts, feeding yourself from across the room with ease. That's what you want. A torrent of blood, not a torrent of rats, which is the best case scenario of animalism. Marcus is in the situation where he's a caitiff, which means all disciplines cost the same amount for him. Cheaper than they would be if they were out of clan disciplines, but more expensive than they would be if they were in clan disciplines. That's the best he can do for thaumaturgy. None of the clans represented in these vials know thaumaturgy as a clan discipline. So Marcus is going to stick to caitiff blood. He's not going to ruin his shot at vampire magic. I respect it. Flash. First of all, remember that Flash is dumb. It's very important for his strategy. Flash wants to be a bruja, but he would also love to get some gangrel power so he can get some claws, glowing red eyes, maybe some venture powers. Ventures get fortitudes. They can be tough. Also mind control, charisma. Flash is a shithead. I'm sure he'd find a use for those powers. He wants to be a Bruja most, though. And so, like a dumbass, he's going to do the Bruja potions first so no one else gets them. Then, after he's taken all the Bruja potions, or there are none left, he's going to decide if he wants to take some Gangrel or Venture potions, which he will, because he's got a gambling problem. And he's probably going to get turned into a Gangrel or a Venture, and he's not going to like it, but there are going to be no Bruja potions left. If you thought about this for one goddamn second, well, you know what? If Flash thought about things for a goddamn second, his life would have changed a long time ago. He wouldn't be here right now. Finally, Sir Bloodworth, he is a fighter slash rogue, and he needs some fighter slash rogue powers. He's been developing his abilities. He's not super picky about what clan he wants to be. He'd be happy with any of them, but Gangrel doesn't want to turn into a duck or whatever. Not a lot of things can get you banished from elite British society, but being a duck is one of them. It simply isn't done. So basically, Sir Bloodworth has made a list of like, which powers am I most interested in among the clans I wouldn't mind being. From top to bottom, it's Bruja, Toreador, Ventru, Setite, Caitiff. He doesn't necessarily want to be an unclassy, despised Caitiff, but you drink Caitiff blood, you might get disciplines. Being looked down upon in polite society isn't great, but super speed is worth it. For a fighter slash rogue, who needs the esteem of your peers when you get extra attacks per round? So let's start slamming these vials. As randomly determined by Marcus's D4, Terry gets the first generation potion, so she goes down to 12th generation, and Sir Bloodworth gets the second one, so he goes down to 12th generation as well. Now we can do clan stuff. Rolling randomly, we've determined that the drinking order around the table is Marcus, Sir Bloodworth, Terry, and then Flash. First up, Marcus drinks Kate of Blood. Nothing happens. It's one of the many exciting options on the magical potion effect table. Nothing happens. Sir Bloodworth is up next, and he slams a Bruja potion and becomes a Bruja. His temper gets worse, 
but he's less evil. By the way, I'm assuming whatever it is to be of a clan, you can feel it change. There are little experiments you could do, but we don't need to get into the details. You know, maybe they're doing a little bit of a Bruce Banner on each other when they drink Bruja blood, giving each other little slaps or just little verbal insults just to see like, does that, does that, does that make you feel angrier than usual? It's a dangerous game, but this is all a dangerous game. This is a dangerous mini game that they're playing. Anyway, Sir Bloodworth becomes a Bruja and he knows he's a Bruja, let's assume. Next up, Terry drinks a Ventru potion and immediately gains a dot of presence, one of the Ventru disciplines. This is one of the things that can happen. This is why we're drinking all this blood when it comes down to it. This is basically a pile of free disciplines you get at the end of the adventure. We're rolling on the vampire treasure table right now. So Terry's now got a dot of presence. Finally, it's Flash's turn. He drinks Bruja blood and stays a Bruja. Good for you. Tread in water. And for a dumbass in the ocean, you're doing great. Round two, Marcus takes more caitiff blood, which would turn him caitiff if he weren't already a caitiff. Still nothing for Marcus. Better luck next time. Sir Bloodworth, round two. More Bruja blood, nothing happens this time. Terry, more Ventru blood, nothing happens this time. Flash, more Bruja blood. Once again, it would turn him into a Bruja if he weren't already one. He's wasting this Bruja blood by pouring it into his existing Bruja blood. An uneventful round. It's fine. We feel nothing yet. We keep drinking. Round three, Marcus takes more caitiff blood. And once again, nothing happens. Marcus may be one of those guys who can't get high. I don't know. We'll see. Sir Bloodworth takes more Bruja blood. Once again, nothing happens. Terry, more Ventru blood. This time she gets a dot of dominate. She learned mind control. Only one word commands. Not the most useful of abilities, but it beats trying to get a buzz and not being able to feel anything, which is where the other two are at in this round so far. So congratulations, Terry. Flash takes more Bruja blood. Once again, it would turn him Bruja if he weren't already a Bruja. And that does it for our Bruja blood. Utterly wasted to no effect. As the vigor of youth is wasted on Aimless Rebellion. A lesson for all you kids out there. You suck. You suck, kids. Round four. Marcus drinks more caitiff blood. And it would turn him into a caitiff if you weren't a caitiff already. You're having a boring night, Marcus. Sir Bloodworth drinks some Toreador blood to no effect. This is not as you might expect because he is already an overdramatic thespian. It just happened not to have any effect. Or maybe that set-type blood is just really hanging on. They really hauled in a marlin with uh, Sir Bloodworth. Rich, powerful, handsome, violent, high status. I can understand why the Dark God set is really forcing Sir Bloodworth to put in his two weeks here. You want him for as long as you can have him. Terry drinks yet more Ventru blood and this time becomes a Ventru. Ventru, as you'll recall, is her safety school. So everything's going according to plan for Terry. Flash, being out of Bruja blood, switches to Gangrel blood because he wants those claws. He wants to be tough. And you can take or leave rats, but nothing happens. Flash and Marcus, neck and neck. Who will have one fucking thing happen to them first from drinking multiple servings of unknown mystic substances? Back to Marcus for round five. Marcus drinks caitiff blood and nothing happens yet again. One more of these and he's out. One more and he has had the most boring potion bender in the history of role-playing games. Sir Bloodworth drinks Toreador blood and no boring potion party for him becomes a Toreador. As I think he was destined to become. Venture or Toreador. He's a rich kid and a theater kid, a multi-classer through and through. Terry drinks more Ventru blood and stays Ventru. Flash drinks more Gangrel blood and becomes Gangrel this time. Congratulations, no powers yet, but you've solved your anger problem, developed an impending duck problem. Back to Marcus, round six. This is going to be his last one because he's only drinking Caitiff blood. He drinks Caitiff blood, the last of it, and he remains Caitiff. Marcus is officially out, having accomplished nothing, having changed in no way. This is what you get for trying to be cool and party with the rest of Vampire Drama Club, Marcus. Go, go sit in the car. Sir Bloodworth drinks more Toreador blood, but this time it turns him into a caitiff. It's a thing that can happen. All of these potions have a potential to turn you into caitiff. He was there for a moment. He tasted that rarefied air with his big snaky tongue, but then he lost it. But at least he's not a set tight anymore. 
At least now he is of a clan that is hated for no reason. Terry drinks up the last of the Ventru blood, which does nothing, so she remains a Ventru. Flash drinks more Gangrel blood and finally gains a discipline. He gets some Protean. His eyes glow red now. Can claws be far in the future? Or perhaps a deadly bill? Vicious webbed feet, which is a thing you really can get with Protean if you're a mariner. Jeez, what if this? What if these potions are from mariners and they turn him into a fish man? Even with his lifestyle, you don't expect that. You expect like liver problems, STIs. Maybe worst case scenario, you die in a game of Russian roulette. You don't expect to become a fish man. But so far, it's just red eyes. Marcus is out, so we're back to Sir Bloodworth, who takes down another dose of Toreador blood and switches back to a Toreador. The pendulum has swung back all the way the other way. Somewhere in the middle there, you've got a dot of Auspex Sir Bloodworth could possibly get from Toreador blood. Fingers crossed, hopefully he's going to get it. Uh, but so far, he is just swinging between the poles of the can't go to Vampire Party's clan and the must go to Vampire Party's clan. Truly a hellish dilemma. Terry is probably faring the best so far. She's out of Venture Blood. She switches to Toreador and she becomes a Toreador, the master plan. She gained a couple disciplines. She's become a Toreador, which is the clan she wanted. Terry's got what she wanted. She knows when she's ahead. She's out. Speaking of being smart and doing smart things, guess who isn't and won't? Flash. He drinks yet more Gangrel Blood to no effect. And that takes us back to Sir Bloodworth. Sir Bloodworth takes the last of the Toreador blood, which does nothing but keep him a Toreador this time. And now he's out. Now there is Setite blood left, and I don't think Sir Bloodworth would mind being a Setite, but what he needs next is Auspex for finding traps and Celerity for taking extra actions and running real fast and skittering up walls and whatever. Rogue stuff. I mean, and fighter stuff, let's be honest. In Vampire First Edition especially, Celerity is way better than Fortitude or Potence for your combat abilities. So. Sir Bloodworth needs celerity. He needs aspects. Those are Toreador disciplines. He doesn't really need anything that the Setites have to offer. So I don't think he wants to risk leaving the clan that's going to give him discounts on the stuff he's about to buy. So Sir Bloodworth is now out. That leaves Flash, as usual, drinking alone after everybody else is done. And to quickly summarize, he drinks more Gangrel blood until it's gone, gaining himself a point of fortitude, at which point he realizes, wow, my eyes can glow red. I'm tougher than I was before. My anger problems are gone. This has been a good night, but I'm worried that over the course of centuries of blood-soaked existence, an unlife of hate and fear, I'm going to frenzy a lot and I might turn into a schnauzer. Therefore, Flash racks his brain. What's the solution to drinking too much? I know, more drinking. So he starts in on the Setite blood. One dose, nothing. Two doses. He becomes a caitiff, and that's it. Flash is out. I know what you're thinking. With magical blood still to drink, Flash is out? Yes, because Flash doesn't want to be a creepy snake guy. He doesn't want to be a schnauzer. At this point, he's gained all the powers that he wants. He's not really super interested in the Setite powers. He's a caitiff, which means he has no particular clan weaknesses now. He can buy up Celerity, Fortitude, and Potence all at equal cost, which none of the clans offer. So he's good. And now with nothing but a vial and a half of unwanted Setite blood left on the table, we have completed this flight of magical mystery vampire serum. I've already identified the dumbest thing on the page, which is this wonderful nonsense climax which completely shuffles these characters' abilities and futures after spending the whole adventure building up to them, by the way. I would like you to join me next time for a little breather, an illustration to cool down a bit before we move on from the big blood-swilling climax onto a more sedate part of Alien Hunger on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been Mega Dumbcast. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Social media was never healthy and is now dying, so if you want to contact me, you can email me. 
I am megadumbcast at gmail.com. This season's theme song is Suck City by Black Math, whose work you can find at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash black underscore math. Dumbheads, I will catch you next time.